So in this series, we're talking about names. I want you to picture, like you see on the screen, I want you to picture a name tag with, Hello, my name is Moses. And that's the title of the sermon this morning. Hello, my name is Moses. What's the best book that you've read recently? I don't actually mean that to be a rhetorical question. I want you to see me after the service and tell me what the best book that you've read recently is. I'm always looking for good recommendations. But this week I've been sucked into another good book. Lindsay read it first and then she gave it to me and I got sucked into it as well. And you know how this works, don't you? When you find a really good book, you get thrown into the world of that book. The best books have a way of sucking us into their story and into their world. They draw us out of our own world. In some ways, they draw us out of our own lives into the lives of the characters of their pages. Good reading of good books is never detached and objective. Let me say that one more time. Good reading of good books is never detached. As faithful readers of good stories, we should get sucked in. Good stories don't let us remain outsiders. They don't let us remain unmoved observers. Good reading converts us from bystanders into participants. From bystanders into participants. I've been thinking a lot recently about how we read the Bible. The Bible at its core is a story. And it's a story that draws us into participation. And so when we read the Bible, we shouldn't come to the words of Scripture with the expectation that we can remain outside objective observers. Rather, we should come to Scripture prepared to be sucked into the story. As Eugene Peterson has written, we don't come to the Bible for more knowing, but for more becoming. Think about that difference. We don't come to the Bible for more knowing, but more becoming. As we read the Bible, we should be asking, how is this story drawing us out of our world into God's world? And how are we being called to be participants in God's story? And so this morning, as we prepare to hear this story of Moses, I want to invite you to be sucked into the story of the Exodus. So this week, we have jumped hundreds of years in Israel's history. Last week, we had the story of Jacob and Esau. And in today's passage, we have the Exodus story. We've skipped over the story of Joseph and his brothers and how Jacob's family or Israel's family has relocated into Egypt because of severe famine. So Jacob's family, then Joseph's family, they settle in Egypt. And what we're told at the beginning of the book of Exodus is that the Israelites are thriving. 
Exodus 1 verse 7 says this, But the Israelites were fruitful and prolific. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Even though the family is in Egypt, it appears at least at the beginning of the book of Exodus, like God's promise to Abraham that he will be the father of a great nation, it looks like that promise is coming true, even in Egypt. But verse 8 of Exodus 1 introduces a new variable. Exodus 1 verse 8 says this, Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Joseph had been Pharaoh's right-hand man, but a new king arises in Egypt that doesn't know Joseph, that's not familiar with this family. And so this new king or Pharaoh becomes concerned about Israel's strength, about their power and their number, and he begins to enslave them, to try to control them. But even as Pharaoh is enslaving the people and oppressing the Israelites, They are growing, they're multiplying, and they're spreading. And so we're told in Exodus that the Egyptians begin to dread the Israelites. They begin to fear them. And you probably know the story from here. The Pharaoh orders all Hebrew male babies to be killed at birth. And in this series on names, I want to stop for a second to mention two heroes in this story. Two Hebrew midwives who are recognized in the book of Exodus and they're honored by their names. They're honored in the book of Exodus for their hero status for saving the Hebrew babies. The names of those midwives are Shifra and Pua. Have you heard those names before? Their names can get lost in the story of Exodus but they're a big part of why the Israelites can continue to thrive and succeed. But the Pharaoh won't be stopped, even with the midwives choosing to defy his orders. Pharaoh continues, and he orders that every baby boy born to Hebrew mothers be thrown into the Nile. And that's when we meet Moses. His mother gives birth to him, and his mother hides him as long as she can. She hides him until he's about three months old, puts him in a basket, and sets him in the reeds on the bank of the Nile. And it's here that Pharaoh's daughter discovers Moses in that basket. And in beautiful irony, Pharaoh's daughter pays Moses' mother to nurse and raise him. Do you remember that part of the story? Pharaoh's daughter pays Moses' mother to nurse and raise him. When Moses, though, is finished nursing, he goes to live with the Pharaoh's daughter. She is the one who gives him the name Moses. And the book of Exodus tells us that the name Moses means drawn out of the water. Moses was drawn out of the water or saved from the water as an infant. And that name also alludes to part of Moses' story that will still be to come. His future saving work of drawing 
with God's help, people from the water. In the book of Exodus, the Moses story moves really fast. And so this morning, we're going to try to keep pace. Moses spots an Egyptian taskmaster beating a Hebrew slave. He's sent into rage and kills that Egyptian. And then he tries to hide what he's done. But Pharaoh finds out, and so Moses has to flee Egypt. He flees to Midian, where Moses begins shepherding a flock and he starts a family. And so when we meet Moses the shepherd, he's safe and he's happy and he's content. He's starting a family. It even seems like maybe the story could just end here. Maybe Moses and his new family could begin rebuilding that promise of God to Abraham. But that is not the Moses story. Despite the big part that he's about to play, Moses is not the main character in the book of Exodus. Because back in Egypt, God's people are suffering, the Israelites are crying for help, and here's how Exodus puts it. The Israelites groaned under their slavery and cried out. Out of their slavery, their cry for help rose up to God. God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God looked upon the Israelites and God took notice of them. So when we come to our passage from chapter 3, Moses is watching his flocks when he comes to this mountain of Horeb. This volcano, not a volcano, but it did look like a volcano in the children's sermon. Scripture calls the mountain of Horeb the mountain of God. And so we know that something is about to happen. We know in this story that God is about to show up. An angel of the Lord appears to Moses as a flame from a bush. And yet the bush is not burnt, being burnt up. Moses stops and scripture quotes him as saying one of the most obvious statements you can find in all of scripture. In the NRSV, it sounds a little too robotic to me. Here's what Moses says. When he sees this burning bush, this miraculous sight, the bush that's burning but not being burnt up, Moses says... I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. It sounds a little robotic to me, and that's why I like the way the message translation puts it a bit better. In the message, Moses says, what's going on? <laughs> that seems a little more real to life to me. What's going on here? I can't believe this. This is amazing. Why doesn't the bush burn up? This point in the story, Moses is drawn out of his routine. He's drawn out of his responsibilities and he's being placed in a new story. Moses is being sucked into what God is doing and into the story that God is creating. What's going on here? Moses says, I've got to take a closer look. 
from the burning bush, God calls Moses by name. Moses, Moses. And we have this question that for me seems to permeate this story. Who is the main character? There's a playfulness in the narrative from Exodus. If you go back and read the story, that playfulness becomes clear. And it is begging this question, who is the main character? The angel of the Lord calls Moses by name multiple times. There's an intensely personal element to Moses' great calling in this passage. And then when Moses hears his name from the burning bush, he calls out, here I am. Almost as if to say, I'm here. I can do this. What is it? But then Moses is instructed to remove his sandals. That is a traditional sign of respect when entering a holy place. And the voice from the bush calls out, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And in that response, I can almost hear, I can almost hear that response that Moses, your name will be great, but your name is one name among many, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses. Perhaps that voice is telling Moses, Moses, you're about to be a big part of a big story. But you are one part. And the story is much bigger than you could ever imagine. God tells Moses that we, he will help lead the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt to that very mountain where they will all worship God. And do you remember the story of Jacob wrestling that divine stranger in the middle of the night? Jacob asks that divine visitor what his name is, and Moses does the same thing. He wants to know what God's name is. Jacob didn't get an answer to that question, and Moses didn't get much of an answer. God tells Moses, tell the people, I am has sent me to you. I am has sent me to you. Or I am who I am. So much has been written about God's name that he gives Moses. In the Hebrew language, it's pretty ambiguous. It can be translated in lots of different ways. I am has sent me, or I am who I am, or I am who I will be, or I will be who I will be. And it's likely purposefully mysterious. But God's given name here in this passage does seem to be related to the name of God that we see throughout the Hebrew Bible, the name of Yahweh. In the Jewish tradition, that name is so holy that it's not actually supposed to be spoken or even written. In fact, in many Bibles, including in the translation of the Bible that we use, the Hebrew for Yahweh is translated based on other names of God, like Adonai, which means the Lord. So just as a fun fact, you had some Charleston Heston fun facts earlier. But as a fun fact for your Bibles, when you see the Lord in small caps, the original Hebrew would have been Yahweh. But it is translated as Adonai, or the Lord. 
The Hebrew name Yahweh is sometimes called the Tetragrammaton. That just sounds like a transformer character to me. (laughs) But we translate that as Adonai, or the Lord, out of respect. This is God's great name. Both Yahweh and the name used in response to Moses' question, I am who I am, seem to be related to this Hebrew verb, to be, or become, or come to pass. Moses, in other words, is speaking to the God who creates. Moses is speaking to the God who causes things to be. Moses is speaking to the God who makes new things from nothing and who makes old things new again. I like what Walter Brueggemann writes about this passage and about God's name. Without pursuing the endless critical opinions about the original of the formula of God's name, it is enough to see that I am who I am bespeaks power, fidelity, and presence. This God is named as the power to create, the one who causes to be. This God is the one who will be present in faithful ways to make possible what is not otherwise possible. This God is the very power of newness that will make available new life for Israel outside of the deathliness of Egypt. I am the same God, the Lord goes on to tell Moses, that was faithful to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the same God who did new things in them and will cause new things to be in you and the Israelites. In other words, Moses is a big part of an even bigger story. Moses, who is drawn out of the waters of the Nile as an infant, is drawn out of his own story into God's bigger plan. To help draw out the Israelites from Egypt through the waters of the Red Sea. You can probably remember from this story that Moses stretches his hand out over the sea and the waters reside, the waters are being pushed back. But even Exodus makes it abundantly clear that God is the acting subject in this story. Exodus 14 verse 30 says this, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the Egyptians. One commentator says this about the name Yahweh, or I am who I am. The name does not indicate God's eternal being, but God's action and presence in historical affairs. Moses' name will become great. In fact, his name is everywhere in the book of Exodus. In fact, we see Moses' name all throughout Scripture. But the Bible makes something abundantly clear throughout this whole Moses story. God is the main character of Israel's salvation story. God is the main character. I want you to think about this question. Is how we read scripture as important as scripture itself? Are we allowing the Spirit of God to suck us into this story? 
Are we allowing the Spirit to draw us out of our own world into God's world and God's plan? Into the world where we are not the main characters. God is. When Moses sees that burning bush, Scripture tells us that he turns aside to investigate it. Moses stops, he pauses, he turns aside to investigate, to participate in that holy moment. Moses entered the story and said, here I am, what part am I to play? Eugene Peterson says that reading the Bible as participants teaches us how to reframe the question of faith. When we read the Bible, when we read this great big God story as participants, we learn to ask not the question, how is God working in my story? But how am I a part of God's story? That's an important shift. Not how is God working in my story, but how am I a part of God's story? Moses learned of that switch in God's name. What name should I give them? I am who I am, or I am who I will be. God will be who God will be. And so a question of faith for us is this. Will we be what we want to be? Or are we willing to be turned aside? Are we willing to exit the world of our own direction for the world of God's directing? Do we have to be the main character of our own story? Or as people of faith, are we willing to get sucked into God's great story? Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, you call out to us, but we don't always turn aside. We are sometimes preoccupied or distracted. We are sometimes selfish. God, open our ears to your calling. God, open our eyes to how you've come among us inviting us to participate in what you're already up to, what you've been up to from the very beginning. Help us to be aware and help us to be awake. Help us to be awake to your work and to your will because, God, we want to be a big part of your even bigger story. So this morning, as we continue to worship, as we prepare to receive your gifts of bread and cup, God, we say, here we are. Here I am. We stand ready and eager, God, to join your mission. And so we pray these things as we continue to praise you. In the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.